Pavillon Afrique is a platform that promotes stakeholders of the film industry from Africa and its diaspora. With each episode, you will learn a little bit more about the ecosystem, thanks to our guests, professionals, experts, and film lovers. Welcome to all. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Don Omope, a writer and also an award-winning British-Nigerian director and producer. Hello, Don Omope. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, the pandemic is still a vivid reality in a lot of African countries. And, uh, you know, I would like to know how you were impacted, you and also the film industry in Nigeria. Well, um, just like everywhere else in the world, the pandemic has, um, has really changed a lot of things. Um, filmmaking is a contact spot. And the way, um, the way HIV has redefined sex is the same way COVID-19 will, will redefine social interaction. And because, um, and because we, when you're making a film, it's a, it's a collaborative spot. It's a spot that involves a lot of departments, a lot of people. My average films have a minimum of 50 people. So how do you make a film with that number of people on set, excluding extras and actors and, and, and cast and what of you? And also, more importantly, the distribution of the, of the business itself, which is for the filmmaking, the distribution of itself, um, which is the cinemas, the exhibiting part of the business, is a business where a lot of people are gathered within a tight space to enjoy the films you make. And that's one of the key things that COVID-19 has affected. So the cinema industry in Nigeria has been, has, um, has really been damaged this year. I mean, the um, audiences were not really going to the cinemas in January, February. So we were hoping that by the time, um, by the time Easter comes up, that, um, that a lot of people will come to the cinema. But COVID-19 kicked in in March. So suddenly the exhibitors haven't made much money in January or February. And COVID-19 kicked in in March and you will, we've been out of circulation in March, April, May, June. The cinemas are still closed. And it looks like the, and it looks like the cinemas will still be closed, go, uh, possibly up to December. So, um, so unless, 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 unless something happens, unless something happens, and just to correct myself, I said December, but what I meant was September. It, it feels like the cinemas might still be closed till up to September. And if, if, if that happens, you know, it's serious financial uh, pressure on businesses because businesses are built solely on cash flow. The ability, to, um, the ability to pay things and push money in directions that allow the businesses to survive. But if there's no money coming in, then what do you do as a business? Do you sack all your staffs? Do you lay people off? Do you pay salaries for those times where people are not working? Do you lose all your, um, all, all your talented staffs? And if you look at the ramifications of that on the filmmaking side, it means that it's difficult to have conversations with investors to invest in your movie when they're telling you, but the cinemas are closed. Yeah, so how am I going to make my money? Yeah. Exactly. Where am I going to make my money from? And those things become quite very, very key. You know, those things become quite very, very key because without such, um, without such um, approaches to, to, um, to dealing with the pandemic the industry is really really is really really down i haven't made any film this year and i don't think i'm going to be able to make any film this year and that has a big effect on on even as a livelihood 
as filmmakers because um, it means that I have had no income this year because of COVID-19, because projects you have lined up has not been given the green light. So the effects are huge and the effects are far reaching like everywhere else in the world. So uh, what uh, do you think uh, filmmakers can do just to soften the blow? If you don't have any revenue, do you, have you devised a way, a new way of doing films? Or to take out of your cabas the old ones to sell to platforms? What uh, kind of solutions do you have? Well, well, there's really nothing you can do other than, other than develop yourself. I think in periods like this, in periods, in periods like this, you see, filmmaking is a commercial business. And there are commercial imperatives to how you make the films. And if those commercial imperatives are not adding up, there's nothing you can do. Unless you want to start making student films or making toy films or what of you and things you show to your friend on Instagram. But that's not the game we are in. You know, that's not the game we're in when we're in the business of filmmaking, which mm -hmm. means you're dealing with investors and you're dealing with distributors and you're dealing with schedules and timelines. So the key thing you can do in a period like this is, is to go is to go into development, start writing, start developing projects, so that at the point when COVID-19 removes from our consciousness projects, a slate of projects, that you have available to show to investors. So it means that when usually you would have one or two projects, now you could have six or seven projects all in development, all in development. And that is why as a director, you need, you need to know how to write because you cannot always afford the, um, the cost of bringing in a writer. So you need to learn how to write. You need to understand. You cannot be a director if you cannot write. Producers out there are looking at the business and saying, okay, so what directors out there can write that I can option what they are, what they have in development. You know, what mm -hmm. writers are out there that already have things they have written that I can option and put a lay on that would allow me to to um, to go into conversation with potential investors. But most importantly, and perhaps most crucially, is the fact that filmmaking in Africa, like filmmaking in Africa, like most other jobs in Africa, and if you look at what the World, um, um, what the World Bank have been saying and what they are, and what they on the Labour on Congress have been saying around the world, is a good eighty percent of employment in Africa are in informal economies and uh, 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 without any social protection. So, which means that filmmakers like myself, like um, like uh, um, like everywhere else in Africa, we have no social protection. No, no pensions, no health care, no, 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 what of you. So COVID-19 has really pulverized the environment. People are starving, people are suffering, people cannot work, people cannot feed their kids, people cannot get around. It, the desperation is huge. And so what's the solution? The solution to this is institutionalization. We have to go from being individual from being individuals to being companies. We have to go from working in silos to working in collaborations. Filmmakers need to come together, to pull resources together, to, to basically work as a company. And like that, you can access, 
you can access finance through on, on through banking schemes, through government schemes, you can do tax rebates through the government, you can get insurance in from you, you can start to um, uh, um, you can start to work with insurance to create some kind of an uh, uh, some kind of uh, film completion bond which exists in all over the world but doesn't exist in, in African countries to say out of my budget I am going to put two to five percent out in payment to an insurance firm that if anything happens in the process in which I am making this film, I can access this bond for me to use it to complete the film. You know, things like this will go a long way in helping in helping us. So the solution is we need to move away from the individual silo form of filmmaking to start looking at how we can institutionalize, institutionalize ourselves into companies and we can make better sustainable films. Is the conversation going in in the government right now or with the film commission or is it just you is it something that you want to do but uh, it has to be taken in the hand or the person who can no these conversations are ongoing you see there's a huge conversation going on in nigeria right now and um the nigerian broadcasting corporation um enacted um enacted a um the sixth and the sixth amendment to its charter which governs the way intellectual property are handled in Nigeria. And, and the crucial thing about this is, for the first time in, um, for the, first time in the history of Nigeria, um, the intellectual property laws, you know, the, the charter of the Nigerian Broadcasting Corporation has now, has now favored the producers of, of, of intellectual property. Before, it had always favored the investors. And it had allowed the investors to take advantage of producers of IPs. And that's how you have a lot of actors that would have acted for 30, 40 years and suddenly die of preventable diseases because they didn't have the money or because they didn't have the money to pay for their health care because they had no royalties on the works in which they've worked on all their lives. So the NBC had come out, and it had been a big fight between investors and people saying they will pull investment from Nigeria and all those things and whatnot. But guess what? It has been approved. It has gone into it, it and it has gone into operations in Nigeria right now. That and the key thing down there in the Nigerian Broadcasting Corporation is the is the case of exclusivity, whereby certain organizations can can demand exclusivity over intellectual property and pay peanuts for that exclusivity and not allow the IP to be shared to other broadcasters. And because of that, um, they, they've paid peanuts for it. They've kept it to themselves. The owner of the intellectual property cannot exploit it because of the exclusivity. They've not been paid a premium for that content. So basically that content is wasted. After the two year, three year life of that exclusivity, the value of that content has dropped from 100% to about 40%. So the filmmaker is making films but not really enjoying the process of the films because because predator investors, predator investors are, are really making all the money. Another key thing that happened in Nigeria is the, which has been going on for the last um, almost 10 years in Nigeria, has been the bank of industry. And the bank of industry has been putting low interest loans towards the creative industry and getting people and getting people to filmmakers to come and get this money, which are below 10%. If you go to a commercial bank, you're going to be paying between 25 and 30 percent. So these intervention loans are below 10, and they are for filmmakers to use. But guess what? Film not access these loans because filmmakers, uh, filmmakers were not using lawyers. Filmmakers were not using accountants. Filmmakers, you know, 
or, or they had nothing to prove other than other than the number of followers on Instagram that um, uh, and that they've made a film. But people that want to give you loans, people that want to give you money, are telling you that we want to see your profit and loss account. Where did the money come? How did you spend the money? Where were the profits? Did you run at a loss? Because as far as they're concerned, you could be doing money laundering for all the care. You could be laundering money for gangsters and what of you, because there is nothing. You don't even have a company. You don't have a business account. Your business account is being run as a personal account. So, and financiers are like, no, we can't give you this cheap loan because you, yes, you've made 700 films, but we don't see the financials in your books. So how have you made 700 films? How are you a celebrity? Okay, so you, you're saying that even in Nigeria, the biggest film industry in Africa, you have these issues that are kind of basic. Exactly, basic. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, and that's why I always say that Nollywood is the biggest filmmaker uh, film, uh, film market in Africa, but they, they are intrinsic problems. They are intrinsic fundamental problems. Which makes which makes um which which poses a huge challenge. As much as you can say Nollywood is the biggest market for filmmaking in Africa, you cannot say Nollywood makes the best films in Africa. Nollywood does not make better films than Kenya. Nollywood does not make better films than South Africa. Nollywood film Nollywood does not make better films than Senegal, than than the Ivory Coast. Even Burkina Faso, that is a tiny country on our neighbor, we don't make better films than them. So you have to understand. But but the most important thing for Hollywood and the edge Nollywood has over all these other countries which I've mentioned is that filmmaking in Nollywood are owned by Nigerians. For you, you mean this the is... The people that make that country that go to Europe or go to France or what have you to go borrow money and the intellectual property doesn't stay with them. So their audiences don't really see those films. In Nollywood, their audiences see those films. But the quality of the films are not as great. So Nollywood, if Nollywood can borrow from the rest of Africa, and the rest of Africa can borrow from Nollywood, we would have a more robust, bigger uh, um, global industry. Wow, I think this is the first time I hear someone saying that. I guess uh, there are a lot of people who don't agree with you on that. Yes. No, but it doesn't matter what anybody agrees or not. It's, it's the, um, the, um, the key thing is, am I, in the, am I in a position to say what I say? Yes. Am I experienced enough to say what I say? Yes. Do I have the pedigree? Yes. So I've said it, and it's my position. Okay, that's that do it. So now we uh, need to know you more because we began with the crisis, the coronavirus, we went into the, um, the new laws. So tell us about uh, who you are, what you've done. And why you are doing it? Because you are passionate. I can see that. Yes, indeed. So, um, so my name is Don Amafe. I started my career as a art critic, um, as an art critic. Um, you know, worked in Europe, writing about art and how art should be made. Um, I published a magazine called African Screens for seven years, which was which was part of one of the most popular magazines coming out, talking about African cinema in those years until the magazine is now no more. And as publisher, editor of the magazine, we wrote extensively about, about, um, about filmmaking and other forms of art. Um, I also worked extensively as a photographer, traveling the world and doing documentary photography. So my love for photography and my writing um, about filmmaking 
from um, from my publication developed a very very strong interest for me in filmmaking. In 2015, I, after years of working in television, because I've always worked in television, so I've been a TV producer, TV director, photographer, um, art critic, you know, I'm publisher of a magazine. So I have been around media, I've been around media and what's a view, but I've not really made a film. So in 2015, I came to Nigeria to come, I was edge onset to Nigeria to come and set up a new production company uh, um, with the remit to make it the most innovative and the largest and the most successful uh, production company in making films. It was a first of its kind initiative, a corporate production company. And as the founding, um, as the founding um, um, head of the production, we went on to create um, an incubation system that pulled together money and also pulled together intellectual property. And the key thing in 2015, which separated what we were doing from everything else was that prior to us, people usually exploited people's IP. It was never a collaboration between the owners of intellectual property and the people with money. It was people with money calling on people with intellectual property and making them an offer they cannot refuse. So by, by bringing this partnership and insisting that this partnership must be 50-50, whereby any filmmaker that could not raise 50% of the money, we, we were basically not going to work with that filmmaker. And what that happened was that we with the money, we could not impose anything on those with the intellectual property, and those with the intellectual property could not impose anything on us. And that birthed some really remarkable films in Nigeria. Um, Chasing Anifa, an Hausa language film, was the first film we made, which in 2015 was one of the biggest films in the North, opened on Christmas Day. It was a very small film. We swiftly moved on to Taxi Driver Okwashewo, which was a film in collaboration with some directors and producers on a 50-50 basis as well. That film revolutionized Nigeria as one of its first court films, which ended up being invited to Toronto International Film Festival in 2016 and was screened. And when we made these two films, we were like, listen, we've made fantastic films, but these films are not really making money. You know, they are not making the type of money we want as investors. We want big money. But these films were being critically acclaimed. So we went back to the drawing board and we said, how can we continue with the collaboration, but this time make bigger films and make big money? And with that decision, we collaborated with some bigger production companies. So instead of collaborating with filmmakers, which we had done in the past, we now collaborated with production companies. And four, and four big uh, production institutions came together and we made a film called Wedding Party. And Wedding Party became the most successful film in the history of Nigeria and became the highest ghosting film in the history of Nigeria. And that, and that now left it. We, um, Wedding Party became, um, became a huge franchise in Nigeria and we end up doing Wedding Party 2, which was a, which grossed a lot of money as well. You know, and all these films pulled in attention from Sony, Netflix, Fox, Disney, because all this, because for the first time in Nigeria, Big films were being made that were traveling out of the country, not our little, little, our little, little television melodramatic films, no. So, um, so we did these films and then I moved on from, from that company to another company with a different remit, which was Envivo. And that's how I met you in France with Envivo. And we had a different remit to continue what I'd done with the previous company to now look at how we can make films. But our interest was not so much in, in the production of making films, in terms of making films, but more at the financing of films. 
from the position of acquisition. So we look at filmmakers that have made films and are struggling with the ambitions for those films. And we acquire the rights, we acquire the rights to those films, pump money into those films, make those films bigger and better, and then we commercialize those films on a sharing formula, which is what which is what I have been doing with um with Envivo, the company which I am right now. So that's my life journey in a few words. Um, it's deeper than that, but I think uh, but I think there's enough on, on on LinkedIn for anyone that wants to investigate me further. Okay, uh, it means that you've really attached every part of the film industry: producing, directing, and uh, financing. And maybe you will soon go to distributing. Exactly. Uh, the only thing I haven't really touched on personally is um, is, is is distributing. An, ex an, an, an exhibition, but but when I when I was eight hundred into Nigeria, um, the company I worked for was a group. We own cinemas. We we own the largest cinemas in Nigeria right now. It's called Film House Cinemas, and um, we uh, we um, we ran the most uh, um, significant distribution company in Nigeria in the form of Film One Films, and I had the remit to set up the production. So by by working within the group, um, I have a lot of experience on distribution. From, from being a top executive, I'm sitting in management meetings. I have a lot of experience in the exhibiting part of the business from being a top. So I've really worked across, I've really been exposed to all facets of film as well as the media. Okay, so you've worked, I understand, in, in the UK, you've, uh, you're working now in Nigeria. What are the main differences? Like the, what, how the work is apprehended? Well, the key thing um, from working in the UK and working in Nigeria is that you have a government support network in the UK and, and you, don't really, you don't really have a robust government support. So we do have government support in Nigeria. It's just not robust, um, um, so to speak. But in the UK, you have a very robust government support through all kinds of institutions to help you. As long as you can make a good film, Make, make a good film in the UK, you would really, really go far with the support. But making a good film in Nigeria is just the beginning of your journey. It, uh, uh, and that film could end up dying, even though it is good. So that's the key difference. And those key difference comes from tax rebates, support networks, all the push, training, training, development, all those things like you have in the UK, which is a very, very robust system. And also the welfare system, like you have in the UK right now, whereby the UK government is giving out loans to small companies and giving them grants or whatnot to deal with COVID-19. You don't have anything like that in Nigeria. So those are the major, major differences. Okay, so I guess you're advocating just to, uh, you know, have it also in Nigeria. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. You're talking about uh, training, etc. If you had to list the top three qualities needed to go from a good director to a top one, what would that be? The first thing is the first thing the, the, the three qualities to go from a good director to a top director, um, to to a great director of cinema, and understanding what cinema is, and understanding the difference between cinema and television, in terms of the models, in terms of the medium, and 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 and, 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 and when I say understanding, I mean that if um if art is if art is about saying something then cinema is about saying something. And if cinema is about saying something, then cinema is about having a voice. 
if cinema is about having a voice, then cinema is about knowing how to speak. If cinema is, is, is about knowing how to speak, then, then it's about knowing the tools of how to create speech. And by understanding cinema, you would understand how you can use sound, light, um, text, um, what have you, colors, to say something. So it's not about making films that exist in a vacuum. It's about understanding what cinema is about. It's understanding the art. I think by, and the reason we need to understand cinema is that we treat filmmaking as fast moving consumer goods, as something you just make sell, like you're selling bread or like you're selling chocolate or something. We, but we should treat cinema as the sale of intellectual property over a value chain. And, and once we start to treat it as such, we will start to value it as such, which is also very, very important. So understanding cinema becomes one of the key things to being able to, to become a very, very good director. Another thing that comes in down there is training. You need to understand all the different facets and how to work collaboratively as a filmmaker and as a director. You are the you are the captain of the ship, but but you're not the most important person on the ship. There are so many other important people, especially your production designer, especially your your director of photography, especially your writer, especially your costumier, that are working closely with you. And you need to learn how to inspire these people and let these people contribute to the storytelling. So it's not just about to your vision. So it's not just about you it's not just about you saying i need lights in this film i need costumes in this film i need sound in this film but more about you saying how can i use lights to tell the story how can i use sound to tell the story how can i use writing to improve the story how can i use costumes to tell the story so those are the key things you actually need to understand you actually need to understand um, to become a great director. Um, the last thing, third thing is understanding. I think one of the biggest battles in filmmaking continues to be the relationship between the producer and the director. The director is in charge of the creative part of the film. The producer is in charge of the investment part of the film. And, 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 be, and unless your film is not investment driven, unless your film is not a commercial film, then you must respect the commercial imperatives set, set by the producer in the process of making the film. Yeah, because it's a trade. So very often people it's, it's see a, the There's a universal stars. agreement that says that all creative decisions sit with the director, all commercial decisions sit with the producer. But no creative decision can trump a commercial imperative, which means that as long as this decision does not affect the commercials of the film, the director makes that decision. If that decision is going to affect the commercials of the film, the producer is the one that has the last say. And once this understanding is put in place, you're right on your way to making great films and successful films and being a great director. Okay, I understand that talent is not enough. You have to master the trade. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you a question about how you decide to produce a film. What are your criteria or your thought process when they send you 
uh, a script or something? Um, how do you decide? Well, um, well, you know, so my um, my great, my greatest strength is 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 my background as a journalist, and which means that I I am skilled in the art of finding stories, which is what we do in, as journalists. We, we we have developed very strong tools and resources to find stories, and so I tend not to rely on 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 acquiring stories, but rather on developing stories. So I would naturally, as I am right now, I um, I am I am I have a slate of about six films, which I have which I have started to develop or which are or I've started to conceptualize. And all these films are based on research. Things I have come across while researching, while reading, while doing what and things. Because that's the only way you would find unique stories that stand out. Everybody else runs to the, to the same writers to ask the writers, do you have any new idea? Do you have any fresh ideas? And what's of you? So if you really want to stand out uniquely with your stories and your work, which is something I am very, very keen on. I have, um, um, I, I basically um, find my own stories. Okay, but everyone is not as talented as you and be able to produce, to write, to direct, and some people are just uh, one of them. And you can be the three of them. Um, that's good. I wanted also to uh, ask you a question regarding uh, an ongoing conversation regarding Netflix influence in the African film industry. Uh, bad or good? What's your opinion? Well, I think the Netflix influence in the in the African film market is fantastic. I think it would really, really help. Um, and I think it is very, very key to have such a relationship. Um, the reasons I say this is we don't have enough cinemas across the African continent to distribute our stories sufficiently commercially for people to be able to enjoy good royalties on their works. With global reach and distribution, it becomes a very, very good thing. But also to understand and value why Netflix is important in our environment down here is to understand the business of the business of box office, the business of cinemas, and understand why it's different to Netflix and what Netflix offers that is different to this. So box office are always focused solely on bombs on seats, which means that it is not sufficient enough for you to be talented. You must have followers. You must have lots of people on Instagram following you, what of you, so that you could use that to drive people to the cinemas to watch your films. So it becomes a big challenge for new talents to come into the market because established talents that have been doing it for 10, 15 years and have developed a following now becomes the go-to people. Now that in itself becomes a problem. Because it's more on noise offers, which is different is Netflix runs on a subscriber base, on a SVOD system, which is based on subscription. So Netflix's interest is for people to stay longer on their platforms to watch their films so they don't stop their subscription. So Netflix's interest by default is not how many thousands of followers you have on your page or whatnot or that. 
their interest is based more on talent and craft. Are you talented enough to, uh, um, to satisfy audiences when they watch your performance in a film? And are you gifted enough to be able to craft that film and tell that story in a way, in a way that will be compelling? And those two key things now become very, very important. So for Africa, it helps us to bring out more talent, helps us to break the charcoals of those cinema old whereby you must be a celebrity. And that's why you have all these weird people on Instagram becoming celebrities because, because they have 11 fingers and three legs and what have you. And, and you're like, you know, like, like really, like, you know, that's not what, sh that should not be your call to fame. Your call to fame should be because you are gifted and talented as an actor and you could give compelling performances that people believe you and people believe in your in, in, the, in, in, in the transformative uh, 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 um, traits of the things you do. And as directors, people believe in your ability to take a story and craft that story using innovative narrative structures and what of you. And that combination would only but gift, would only but gift the, the African uh, 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 movie industry, um, great development and progress. And, uh, and for a last thing, the greatest writers in Africa, the best writers in Africa are not in the movie industry. They are not in the movie industry. They are, they are writing novels. They are writing novels out there. And this allows us to attract those type of people into the movie industry because they because they are not interested in the popcorn nature of the cinemas whereby all you're looking for is shocking things they are more interested in transformative stories and those writers can now collaborate with producers like what netflix just announced with moa budu with the adaptation of of the great wally showinka's work death of a king's osman but also so with the works of, um, of, of, of the beautiful writer Lola, um, 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 The Secret Lives of Baba Shegi's Wives. And that gives you an hint into the future of African storytelling, pulling together great directors and great writers to create great, great products. Okay, so um, if I understand well, um, Netflix will bring talents out because uh, they don't have to be recognized first. Yes. More, more, more or less, this is what you say. Okay, um, I have one last question for you. Um, as a successful director and producer, which advice would you give someone interested in that trade? Not someone who is not, um, you know, about the glamorous part, but who really wants to tell stories and tell them in a way that uh, uh, people, just people would be interested. What I mean, not just people, uh, it, I mean, is not black people, not African people, but a story told in a way that it appeals to a wide audience. Yes. Um, for young filmmakers out there that want to grow and make films that are focused solely on the art and the craft and not any of the gymnastics that, it, that exist around that, your key focus has to be on self-development. Like all your investment has to be in yourself, in your knowledge and in your understanding and in your craft. Under, understanding what story, you see, you see, you can only 
you can only be a creative. The greatness of your creativity is solely based on your reference points. And your reference points is what are the things you've exposed your life to and you've exposed yourself to. And in the process of your development as a creative and how you go, you cannot be a guy that you cannot be a creative that, um, that was born in a village, lived in a village, got married in a village, never left the village. Don't, doesn't know anything about life. Doesn't know anything about uh, um, your identity as a person based on the way you see it, but more importantly, the way other people see you. So the politics of identity, the politics of interaction. Okay, so, so you cannot just live your life in a cocoon. You have to grow your reference points. You have to interact with society and interact with life. You cannot be a myopic creative because, because you, you, you experience things. Even where you, you don't even have to leave your country. You know, associate with people that are poor, associate with people that are rich, associate with women, associate with children, associate with poor people. Because the key thing is when you understand people's way of life, people's understandings of life, you discover that the decisions people make are not because they are bad, but because of their environment, because of the way they've grown up. So you start to realize simple things and key things. And a lot of these key things are that, that what makes people do the things they do? Is it nature or is it nurture? And these are the key things to storytelling. These are the way that which you can tell the story about a very nasty human being, a criminal, and yet, and yet you realize that the, that criminal has a wife he loves, that criminal has a child he loves, that criminal has, um, has people that he hopes they go on to become greater things, they, they go up not to become criminals that he is. That's the point of storytelling. That's the point of empathy. That's the point of understanding how you grow. So other than training yourself, you must live life. You must grow your reference points. You must engage with everything that is of interest to you to understand the reasons behind it. And you don't need to agree with the reason. You don't need to agree why a prostitute is a prostitute. You don't need to agree why a father sleeps with his daughter. You don't need to agree why, um, why a daughter sleeps with his father's friends. You don't need to agree with all those knowledge to why those decisions were made. Because you, you realize that the decisions could be bad. But the rationale at the point when that decision was made, those rationales are always good. They are always noble. But those decisions, those rationale are, are usually misplaced. And that is where you create compelling stories. The woman that sold her body was not because, was because the key thing in her mind understands people's life. By pulling your reference points, you start to come up with unique stories. You start to come up with you start to come up with um, uh, 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 with different kinds of stories that touch people, that make people feel like, wow, wow, these are powerful stories. And lastly, filmmaking is not just about yourself; it's also about an audience. So yes, you can come up with all the crazy ideas. You can come up with all the crazy ideas you want to come up to, but you cannot tell it in crazy ways. You have to know that there's an audience that needs to understand what you're trying to tell and respect those audience. Treat those audience with respect and kindness and you'll tell great stories and you become a good filmmaker. Words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Don Omope, for your passion and sharing with, you, with us the, your worth of knowledge and experience. Thank you so much. 
Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Subscribe and tune in next time.